Can I rant for a sec? Please. Pay apps are way too public. What happened? Some rando hearted a payment from five months ago, and I realized people can see my entire history, who I'm paying, like full names. It's super weird. Yeah, it's weird. How are you paying your friends then? Apple Cash. It's all in messages. You can literally send cash like a text, and it stays between friends. Random people can't see it. Did you just pay me a dollar on Apple Cash? <laughs> Services are provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Terms apply. This episode is brought to you by PNC Bank, who believes some things in life should be boring, like banking. Because boring is safe and responsible, level-headed and wise. All things you want your bank to be. You don't want your bank to be cool or sexy. Sexy is for 80s hair bands, not banks. That's why PNC Bank strives to be boring with your money so you can be happily fulfilled with your life. PNC Bank, brilliantly boring since 1865. Brilliantly Boring Since 1865 is a service mark of the PNC Financial Services Group, Incorporated. PNC Bank, a national association, member FDIC. The state of Tennessee is one of the few places where the sounds are just as breathtaking as the sights. Whether that's live music at a historic music venue, the crack of an open fire at a campsite in the wilderness, or hearing kids laughing as they explore what's right around the bend, Tennessee just sounds perfect. Start planning your trip at tnvacation.com. Tennessee sounds perfect. Hey, this is Bridget. And this is Annie. And you're listening to Stuff Mom Never Told You. Now, today, we want to dive into a topic that you probably already have some firsthand knowledge of. You've probably seen it on TV, seen it in movies, or at least heard about those movies, and that is stalking. Now, we all know stalking is no joke, but then why do we always see stalking in romantic comedies or in lighthearted movies, and it's supposed to be portrayed as funny or sweet or endearing? Right. It is such a common trope. And it's it's common as a problem, a real-life problem in the United States, right, Bridget? Yeah, it is really common. According to John Carroll University, one in six women and one in 19 men in the United States have experienced stalking during their lifetime. And about 43% of stalking victims said that they went to the police at least once regarding the stalking. Yeah, and unfortunately, it's really difficult to report or prosecute, no matter where you are. 15% of American women just accept being stalked as a fact of life, and 3% report their stalker to the police over 15 times, and nothing gets done. The effectiveness of restraining orders is up for debate, too, because specifically in cases of stalking, the stalker might see it as a challenge or a betrayal, and up to 70 to 80% of the time, they violate the restraining order the stalker does. And I'm not saying don't get one by any means. I'm just saying that, unfortunately, they're not as successful as you might hope they would be. And also, they can be difficult to get. They can be expensive. If the stalker's from a different state, you might have to go to that state and go to that court um, to get the restraining order. It's just, it's really complicated and, unfortunately, difficult problem to solve. Well, yeah, and one of the things that I think makes it that much more complicated is that we are constantly being fed these messages that give us the signal that stalking is cute or funny or acceptable or romantic or sympathetic. And so, as you just pointed out, we don't take stalking seriously as a crime, and it can be really, really hard to do something about it if you're being stalked. But that can also be because we are being taught to see it as something that's really not that bad. And the data is pretty clear that by consuming these movies and these messages all the time, it does warp how we see something that's really scary and really serious. Yeah. um, Especially, I feel like we have a lot of phrases for it. Like, um, oh, he's just being persistent or um, he just had to wear it down. Like, there's this idea that your hard efforts will be rewarded. If you just keep trying, she's going to see the light. She is the woman. It's usually a woman being stalked. Um, is a prize to be won. And this is a plot line we have seen over and over again. And people do kind of consider it romantic. It normalizes it in a way. Normalizing is definitely the word I would use. And even beyond that, there are so many real-life examples of this. 
last month when a Maryland 17-year-old shot and killed his high school girlfriend, there was a headline that called him a, quote, lovesick teenager. Now, in this headline, they weren't actually quoting like a bystander or a classmate. This was an editorial choice to label him as lovesick. And, you know, he committed a crime, a violent, scary, terrible crime against a young girl. And to say that he was lovesick, I think kind of romanticizes behavior that should not be romanticized. It's very serious and very wrong and very troubling. But yet when they do that, it sends a signal that it's okay. Yeah, and that reminds me, um, up until the 1990s, there was no official legal definition in the United States of what stalking is. And it was called, among other things, um, lovesickness or infatuation, which sounds much nicer than what it really is. And perhaps we should back up a bit and um, talk about what we do define as stalking here in the U.S. Yeah, that's a good idea. So according to the Bureau of Justice Statistics, they define stalking as making unwanted phone calls, sending unsolicited or unwanted letters and emails, following or spying on the victim, showing up at places without a legitimate reason, waiting at places for the victim, leaving unwanted items, presents, gifts, flowers— and posting information or spreading rumors about the victim on the internet, in public places, or by word of mouth. Yeah, none of that sounds good or romantic, does it? None of that sounds good or romantic, but yet those exact, exact, exact scenarios play out in movies that are meant to be romantic or funny or sweet all the time. Yeah. Um, Are you a fan of rom-coms, romantic comedies, Bridget? Oh, what a good question. (laughs) I want to be the kind of person who says no, but I'm... I'm not above them. I think I like some of them. I like them when they're, um, like, I loved 10 Things I Hate About You. Mm-hmm. I like some of them. I think in a, I, I'm not someone who is, like, watching them all the time. Um, I love um, Nancy Myers movies. You know, you know those movies yeah. where it's, like, Diane Keaton is wearing an oversized sweater and she's divorced, but she wants to get back out there? Like, those <laughs> kind of movies? I love those. <laughs> but she's always wearing, like a, like, a nice, like, beige tunic and, you know... <laughs> I'm getting a real sense for, like, the fashion style you aspire to. Yeah, Diane Keaton, divorced and getting back out there, is my fashion, like, mood board. That is such a specific and beautiful fashion. I hope you you make this mood board and call it that. Me too. So do you like romantic comedies? No, not really. Um, I have a lot of friends that do, and I find I just get kind of bored watching them, or I I don't really care. I like a very specific type of tragic romantic comedy, I think, where they never end up together. <laughs> like uh, 500 Days of Summer? Yeah. Um, it's been a while since I've seen that. I'm thinking more of like um, weird horror shows, specifically, mm-hmm. like TV. Okay. Where they just kind of never are happy. Because they're zombies. Yeah, so it's like, yeah, yeah. If you want a date, but... It's He's just not going to work. There's some <laughs> vampires involved. Those well, kind of things. Well, your question actually makes me think, because when doing research for this episode, a lot of movies that I actually am a big fan of do have these troubling aspects. So I don't want to make it seem like, oh, I've, I've never enjoyed this movie. These are movies that I don't like, and I'm taking a stand against them. What actually makes it sort of more pervasive is the fact that I think of myself as someone who is critical of the media that I consume, Yet, movies that I enjoy have these really toxic, gross depictions of, of stalkerish behavior. So let's break down some of these movies that maybe have some troubling or toxic behavior kind of masked as, as sweet fun. Um, have you ever seen the movie Say Anything? <laughs> no, but I know exactly what scene that everyone knows from that movie. Okay, so Say Anything was probably my favorite movie when I was in junior high, high school. If you've never seen it, Basically, um, John Cusack is Lloyd Dobler. He's this sort of new wave, sensitive guy. You know, he wears a trench coat. He's into music. I think he does kickboxing. (laughs) Anyway, he's in love with Diane Court. Diane Court, whoa, as she's sometimes named in the movie. But she's sort of bookish and sweet and a little bit shy. And they date for a while. Um, She calls things off with him. And he tailspins the same, the way that you might expect in any movie. There is a montage where he is driving around the city, talking into a tape recorder, presumably to her. And so there's, there's like 20 minutes, maybe a 20-minute scene where he's driving around, talking into a tape recorder, being like, you know, like, I, 
I gave you my heart and you gave me a pen. Because when she breaks up with him, she gives him this pen. Uh, and you're thinking like, wait a minute, is he going to mail her this box of tapes he's made? Creepy. So that's one. So you haven't even seen the movie. When you think of Say Anything, what is the most iconic scene that comes to mind? Guy in a trench coat, standing outside, boombox over his head, in your eyes, playing. <laughs> That's right. Exactly. So you haven't even seen the movie, yep. but you know that scene because it's so iconic. It's on the poster. I used to have that poster in my room when I was in like middle school. So basically, what's going on in that scene is they break up. So that Peter Gabriel song is the song that's playing when they first are intimate together. Oh, so oh. after she calls things off, he drives to her house and holds up a boombox playing that song. And it's meant to be this, and you, in the scene, you see her react to this. Like, she looks very, she's not like, oh my God, this is so lovely. She looks, yeah. she doesn't look happy about this. You know, I grew up with that poster on my wall, idealizing that as the perfect expression of desire and love and romance. And really, if someone did that in real life, I would be calling the cops. Yeah. Like, that oh, yeah. would be a lot. Yeah. That's a, that's a bit much, for sure. Um, another big one that I ran into, Love Actually, that you also noted. Okay, so Love Actually, I've actually uh, only seen once. And I only liked, if you haven't seen it, it's several storylines happening simultaneously. And I only liked the one with Bill Nighy in his agents. <laughs> uh, he's like, this washed-up singer and his agent is trying to get him back back into business by getting him to sing a Christmas song. It's the least romantic of the bunch, um, arguably. But there's one that you've, again, even if you haven't seen the movie, you're probably familiar with, where um, the guy who's in The Walking Dead now, he shows up outside, I believe, Kira Knightley's um, apartment. And she's with, she just got married. And so she's with her husband, who happens to be Walking Dead guy's um, best friend. And he, she opens the door. She hears a knock. Kira Knightley opens the door. And here is the Walking Dead guy. <laughs> He's got, like, a series of big note cards. And the first one, it says something like, don't say anything. And he goes through them. And it's entirely inappropriate. It's like, I'm in love with you, and I, I would do anything for you. I can't remember exactly what it says, but essentially... Annie, to me, you are perfect. That's like the <laughs> last card. <laughs> yeah, and her husband, this guy's best friend, is a room away, and it's just kind of creepy, and she gives him a kiss on the cheek. She smiles. It's a strange kind of rewarding of this, in my opinion, very... Um, unsettling behavior, perhaps. Inappropriate's a good word. Yeah, okay. So I could do an entire podcast series on how much I hate Love Actually. <laughs> and maybe I should because it's a terrible movie for so many reasons. Not the least of which is the fact that this guy is creepy as f Also, earlier in the movie, he is supposed to be um, taking video footage of her wedding. And when she watches all the tapes, she realizes that the only footage he got was close-ups of her face. Oh. So basically, he kind of ruined her wedding by, by like, ruining yeah. the wedding footage. Not to mention the fact that Alan Rickman's character in that movie gives Emma Thompson a Joni Mitchell CD and buys his, his like, secretary a necklace. Yeah. There's so much going wrong in that movie. Um, Laura Linney is framed as this, like, terrible monster for having the audacity for wanting to take care of her disabled brother. You know? Oh, like, there's a terrible there's, person. There's a lot of weird stuff around women in that movie that women are, you know... Yeah. It's a bad movie. But the point is, is that it's also very stalkery. And yeah, at the end, when he does the bit with the cards, the audience is not meant to say, Kira Knightley might want to call the police. No, yeah. You're meant to say, oh, he's so, he's lovelorn. Yeah. This is really, a, you know, he's been carrying a torch for her, and he had to watch her get married to his mate, and oh, you, you really root for him. No, I mean, this is not a healthy depiction of how adults deal with things like this. And I, it's the fact that we, and yeah, I mean, I hate Love Actually, but I remember watching the movie in the theater and understanding that we were meant to feel sympathy and, you know, root for this character. Yeah, because if he has such strong feelings, then he should, therefore, be entitled to some kind of reciprocal feelings from a woman. It's kind of, I always got that, that vibe. 
Um, oh, and here's another one I haven't seen. Clearly, I haven't seen many rom-coms, but maybe you could talk about The Notebook. Oh, could I talk about The Notebook? It's another movie that I feel like, when I saw it, I thought, oh, this is cute. Yeah. But then when you think about it, you're like, oh, this is weird. Okay, so in The Notebook, if you haven't seen it, you're... You're probably, it's you probably just you and like one other person who hasn't seen it because it's on TV constantly. But the notebook is these two characters, um, Allie, who's played by Rachel McAdams, and Noah, who's played by Ryan Gosling. And so basically they meet, uh, Allie is dating somebody else, I think engaged to somebody else or about to be engaged to somebody else. And when they meet, they meet at a carnival. Noah hangs off of the railing of the Ferris wheel and jokingly, but also very seemingly seriously, threatens to kill himself, to, threatens to let go of this railing if she doesn't go on a date with him. And everybody is like, go on the date, go on the date, just so that he, you know, doesn't do this. And again, that's meant to be sort of funny. And the fact of the matter is, she does not seem that keen in the beginning to be interested in him. And, you know, we could talk all day about the dynamics of heterosexual dating, but in these movies, that's, that seems to be a tenet, that the woman is expressing disinterest, and rather than the guy accepting that and, like, dropping it and finding somebody else and moving on, tries and tries and tries again, kind of wears her down. And that's exactly what happens in The Notebook. Eventually, she becomes engaged to someone else, and he writes her a letter every day for a year. Um, I think her mother is intercepting these letters, and so she doesn't actually get them. Don't quote me on that. I might have that. It's been a minute since I've seen it. This romanticizing of a guy not being able to let it go and not being able to move on. And, you know, I get why that's supposed to be romantic. I get that, you know, you're supposed to think, oh, he's pining for her. But in actuality, this is someone who, for a year, for someone he didn't really know that well, kept, like, kept, this, kept this alive in a way that doesn't seem very healthy. He, buy, he buys and restores a house for her gets his picture in the paper with this house specifically to sort of, you know, impress her. All of these things that span a year for someone he doesn't even really know that well. Like, that's my kicker, that if in real life you had an encounter with someone that didn't la- that lasted for a couple of days, and then they, they, you know, drifted out of your life, it would be not okay to continue pursuing them for a year. But that's what he did. Yeah. Uh, my facial expressions were a roller coaster there because I don't know what happens. And it, it's one of those things that if you just hear, you don't have the context of a cute Ryan Gosling and all of the music telling you to feel a certain way. That sounds terrible. That sounds frightening. Someone's buying a house and writing you a letter and like threatening to kill themselves if you don't go on a date. That doesn't sound very romantic. Well, you know what it sounds like? those tenets of stalking that we started the episode with. That's exactly what it sounds like. Doesn't it, though? And, yeah, just because you put some, some, you know, violins and some, you know, uh, shots of people looking very dapper in their, like, 1920s get-ups and, you know, it's by a lake, doesn't (laughs) doesn't make it less stalkery. What? (laughs) Um, You used a phrase that uh, wear her down... That's also in The Big Bang Theory. One of the characters said eventually she got married to one of the other characters because he just wore her down in the studio audience laughs and laughs. It's like, is that great, though? Well, that's not even romantic. I know. I mean, who wants to think of... That's the thing. I think these movies, they repackage things that are not romantic, things that are sad or pathetic or scary in ways that are meant to be sweet or lighthearted because yeah if if you were with someone and they've said oh I'm with this person because not because I love them but because eventually I just lost I like just got tired of fighting it and so I said yes wouldn't you be hurt yeah that's not a that's not a romantic thing no and it's kind of a repackaging of rejection of not being able to accept no as an answer and then feeling like you if you just Keep keep pursuing this person. You're meant to be together. She just doesn't know. And I know how, I know what unrequited love, in quotes, for me, personally. A heavy, heavy crush, we'll say. I know what that feels like. And it is miserable. And you think, if only we had this right opportunity, I know this other person would see that we're meant to be. But no, probably not. Like, 
if you care about someone at all, you have to appreciate that they have their own <laughs> boundaries and they're free to make rejection and it sucks, but that's life for you. Yeah, and we maybe shouldn't be giving out all these signals that the proper and healthy way to deal with rejection is not letting it go and is to send a letter every day for a year yeah. or to, you know, you know, show up outside of our room with a boombox, right? Like, Say Anything would probably be a less good movie if when Diane Court says, I don't want to see you anymore, Lloyd Dobler is sad for a couple of days and then, you know, moves on and That's finds true. someone else. Like, it wouldn't be, maybe it wouldn't be as good of a movie, but that's a healthier way to depict these kinds of things. Yeah. Um, and we still have a plenty of examples, including another movie I've never seen, Something About Mary. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Let's talk more about that after this quick break. Snag a job is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, Snag a Job is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs. On demand, tempt to hire part-time or full-time. You name the position. Warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah, Snag a Job's got a worker for that. With our easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. Can I rant for a sec? Please. Pay apps are way too public. What happened? Some rando hearted a payment from five months ago, and I realized people can see my entire history, who I'm paying, like full names. It's super weird. Yeah, it's weird. How are you paying your friends then? Apple Cash. It's all in messages. You can literally send cash like a text, and it stays between friends. Random people can't see it. Did you just pay me a dollar on Apple Cash? <laughs> Services are provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Terms apply. The state of Tennessee is one of the few places where the sounds are just as breathtaking as the sights. Whether that's live music at a historic music venue, the crack of an open fire at a campsite in the wilderness, or hearing kids laughing as they explore what's right around the bend, Tennessee just sounds perfect. Start planning your trip at tnvacation.com. Tennessee sounds perfect. And we're back. So you've never seen some, There's Something About Mary? No. Okay, well, this actually surprises me because I would feel like that's a movie that you would have seen. Really? Yeah, because it's kind of like a goofy, like, um, comedy. Uh-huh. So it's like a, um, I mean, again, it's, it's, when you unpack it, it's very toxic. But sure. it's, it, it was like a very, like, um, it came out around the same time as a bunch of other kind of, like, Broy comedies, you know, you're like your Tommy Boys and your Adam Sandler movies, things like that. So it was like a big blockbuster movie when it came out. Mm-hmm. I remember that very clearly. Okay, so if you haven't seen it, basically, Cameron Diaz is this lovely girl that everyone loves. Everyone gets, everyone who meets her like falls in love with her. And basically, Ben Stiller met her in high school, and I think they went to prom together. But in the end, I don't want to spoil it, but something very, very unfortunate happens to him on prom night, and they're never able to consummate their love or, you know. Sure. Exactly. I don't want to give it away if you haven't seen it. Let's just say that it involves a zipper, like a pants zipper. Okay. And the bathroom. Oh, no. And it's a, it's a very intense scene. We'll put it that way. And so, basically, this happened when they were in high school, and They've both grown up, blah, 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 and he's, like, never forgotten her. So he hires a private investigator, who is played by Matt Dillon, to track her down. Matt Dillon ends up falling in love with her as well, and so because he's a private investigator, he's basically also stalking her. And later it's revealed that another character has been basically— it's, it's complicated, but later it's revealed that another character has also been stalking her and has basically created a fake persona— that's more to her liking in order to be around her. And so, obviously, this is a very convoluted plot, but the audience is meant to root for Ben Stiller because he's supposed to be the good guy, the guy whose, like, love is pure. When you compare him to Matt Dillon, who is, who 
outwardly appears more creepy and appears to be more of a gross person. But the reality is both of them are doing something that's really f***ed up, right? Like, it's f***ed up to meet a girl in high school 10 years later, hire a a private investigator to track her down. Like, that is not okay. But yet, because he is compared with someone who is more explicitly creepy and gross and weird, we're meant to be like, oh, well, Ben Stiller actually loves her. Yeah. It's kind of similar to the nice guy trope when you think about it. Um, (laughs) Didn't she end up dating... Wasn't the, like ending of that movie she was dating Brett Favre she yes yeah <laughs> I spoiled it for everyone but I knew that I, mean, and I haven't seen it I mean this movie also came out like that's true what's 25 the rule? years ago right like, if, you if you haven't seen there's something about Mary you're probably not gonna see it and like <laughs> you deserve to have it spoiled because you've had a long time right and I haven't seen it and somehow I knew that <laughs> so um The Graduate is another good example of this um Passengers did you see Passengers? I didn't see it. I wanted to see it because the trailer made it seem lighthearted. And, you know, there's a robot butler, which I thought was yeah. charming. But then when I read reviews that actually unpack what's going on, I was so grossed out that I, that I did not want to see it. And in fact, I recall thinking, how did they market this movie in such a lighthearted, playful way? I remember the trailer saying something like, it's the sexiest movie you'll see all season. And I was like, ooh, I want to see a sexy movie. <laughs> oh, la la. And, I, and when I read the actual breakdown of the plot, I was kind of horrified. Yeah, I watched it on a plane. And I remember having this kind of disjointed, because I could tell I was supposed to want them to end up together, but I just couldn't get behind it. I, I was so furious. That Chris Pratt's character had done this thing. Okay, so for those who haven't seen it, break down what happened. So, spoiler alert, if you haven't seen Passenger. Yes. Um, Chris Pratt, it's, I don't know how many people. It's a lot of people are on this ship in space going somewhere on a journey. And Chris Pratt wakes up like 100 years before he's supposed to. Because they're all in um, hypersleep or whatever you call that. When you're put to sleep in space so that you don't age for the duration of the journey. You wake up at the same age you were when you went to sleep. Um, so he wakes up super early. No one else is awake. He can't fix the problem. So he's just hanging out with this robot butler that you mentioned. He's getting drunk with vodka every night. He's growing a beard. He is super lonely. So you're supposed to, and you do. I mean, that's terrible. But he has a robot butler. He does. But I guess the robot butler can only get you so far. I remember liking the robot butler. Um, but so he he starts to explore the passengers because you can pull up um, information about them, data about them. And he finds Jennifer Lawrence's character, who is an author, and he goes through all of her, her files and he decides, I really think I like this girl. And, you know, I bet she'd like me too. I think we'd fit. And he wakes her up. And this is 10 years in, so she's going to... It's going to be 90 years before they get there. She's going to die before they get there. And at one point in the movie, I remember her saying, you've murdered me. This is a death sentence. And I thought, yeah, kind of. And eventually, uh, they fall in love. And I just could never get over it. That's... mm. So that almost seems to be like a mix of a lot of these different tropes, right? Nice guy who does something creepy, but out of pure love. Yeah. You know, um, wearing her down. Because if you're on a spaceship forever with someone, maybe eventually you're like, well, yeah. What are you going to do? Be mad forever that he's basically giving you a death sentence? Yeah, and you've got no one else to talk to. Except for that robot butler. That's true. (laughs) And I believe I remember they they had separate times when they would visit the robot butler because they were mad at each other for about 30 minutes of a two-hour film. (laughs) (laughs) See, I want a spinoff with the robot butler where he doesn't kill anybody. (laughs) And he has... He has healthy relationships with other women or men, robots, whoever, yeah, you know. Whatever not he a, wants. Not a robot gender binary up in here. Yeah. Um, no. But yeah, a movie where, you know, he has a relationship with a robot, another robot, and that robot decides it's over and he, you know, deals with it in a healthy way. It's a better movie. <laughs> we should make this movie, Bridget. <laughs> yes, we should. I'm sure Hollywood would be all about getting that produced. I agree. But Hollywood had no problem producing a little film slash book series you might have heard of Twilight. And Twilight is a very good example of stalker as love. Yeah, so I haven't seen Twilight all the way through. I've seen it in chunks when it's on TBS and I'm like hungover. So I've seen like (laughs) the middle and then I saw the end. And then Mm -hmm. I maybe saw the first 
part of a different yeah. like, like Twilight 2. Uh-huh. So I feel like altogether, I get the gist. You got the gist. I get the probably, gist. I would say you probably did. Um, I ha- I tried to read the books, and then I couldn't get through the first one, which is very rare for me. Um, and I went to see the first movie when it came out in theaters with my friends who were into it. And I remember clearly laughing at one part that I was not supposed to laugh at. And this little girl in front of me turned around and said, I will cut you. <gasps> okay. I don't mean to <laughs> disparage. Um, it's not my thing. Um, and there is some very creepy undertones in it. I, I can't remember. I, the author, Stephanie Meyer, wrote a prequel slash happening at the same time as the first one, but from Edward's point of view book. Um, I can't remember what it was called, but there's a scene where he's watching Bella sleep, you know. As you do. Uh, Edward, yes. Uh, Edward the vampire, you're on Team Edward. You, you, you want him to get with Bella. He's watching her sleep, and he thinks to himself, you know, this is creepy. It's kind of stalkery. I shouldn't do this. But he keeps doing it night after night. And then um, one night, Bella wakes up, and she's kind of flattered by it. Oh. You're watching me sleep. Oh, but it's creepy and weird. Um, yeah. And I, I was talking with Bridget earlier. Um, there's this whole thing I want to talk about on another episode of um, women falling in, falling in love with monsters. That kind of represents like sex and your sexual desire being this monstrous thing. If you haven't gotten the memo already, I really like <laughs> horror movies and <laughs> books, and I have a lot of thoughts about them. But um, not that Twilight is particularly scary, apart from the stalker. (laughs) (laughs) Um, There's also Angel and Buffy. Um, That's one that I I like that is toxic when really, when you think about it. Yeah, when you break it down, it's a little bit not cool. What's funny to me is that oftentimes if you reverse these tropes and it's a woman doing the same behavior that the men do, it's not romantic at all. It's creepy. One of my favorite genres of movie is... Movies where, and it's so cheesy and campy, and I know it's awful, but movies where, like, a woman, you know, stalk, like, she wants to kill another woman because she, he, like, oh, yeah. she stole my family. Like, I want to steal her family. She stole my family. Like, uh-huh. um, single white female. I've seen it a hundred times. Um, unforgiven. Um, unforgettable. Um, really, any movie where it's a woman who is, like, trying to, quote, take the take the place of another woman, I'm in. I don't know what it is. <laughs> I'm so there for it. And I'm, I've seen them all in the theater, like, alone on a Tuesday. <laughs> I'm so into it. When that behavior is displayed by a woman, mm-hmm. like, if a woman is watching a man sleep, like the guy oh, was doing yeah. in Twilight, the audience would be meant to understand this is disturbing. And yeah. I think it's interesting how this same behavior in films, when it's displayed by a woman, is pretty much universally accepted as scary or she's she's unhinged like something's yeah. wrong with her but when it's a man it's then able to be packaged as romantic right and i think that has something to do with um the norms of she's the woman doing a stalker thing is she's breaking the norms and it kind of reminds me on a lesser serious note of i had a friend who was very aggressive in pursuing this guy that she had a crush on and not in like a i would say not in a creepy way but she was just very bored with her um, romantic intentions. And I remember overhearing said guy talking to his friend and say, like, she's too aggressive. She's too forward. I don't like that. In my mind, she was just breaking the norm. And that same behavior from him would have been, like, proper courtship behavior. But it's it's kind of amplified here in the same thing. And it's not just um, in in movies or TV uh, Walmart had a shirt that read, um, some call it stalking, I call it love, a couple of years ago, which is very creepy. And um, there, it's in songs, too, including one of my least favorite songs of all time, The Police, Every Breath You Take. I hate that song. <laughs> it's creepy. It is so creepy. I think it's meant to be creepy. But then they used it in Top Gun as a very romantic for for a very romantic scene. Yeah, it's really creepy. And I actually looked up what the song was about and what, what the, you know, what was going on when Sting wrote the song. Basically, Sting says that he wrote this song after breaking up with someone and then 
starting to date this person's best friend who lives next door and how kind of weird that was. But he actually says, it sounds like a comfortable love song. I didn't realize at the time how sinister it is. I think I was thinking of Big Brother, surveillance, and control. <laughs> so romantic. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. You know, when I, when I think surveillance... Oh, yeah. <laughs> you know, I thought 1984 was a romance novel. <laughs> um, I mean, it's every, it's every girl's dream. Right, It's right. every girl's dream. Yeah. So we've talked a lot about kind of examples of this and sort of how, how pervasive it is. But let's talk about why this is so important that we unpack this and what the implications are for consuming this media all the time. Let's take a quick break and do that. Snag a job is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, snag a job is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs. On demand, tempt to hire part-time or full-time. You name the position. Warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah, snag a job's got a worker for that. With our easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. The state of Tennessee is one of the few places where the sounds are just as breathtaking as the sights. Whether that's live music at a historic music venue, the crack of an open fire at a campsite in the wilderness, or hearing kids laughing as they explore what's right around the bend, Tennessee just sounds perfect. Start planning your trip at tnvacation.com. Tennessee sounds perfect. This episode is brought to you by PNC Bank, who believes some things in life should be boring, like banking. Because boring is safe and responsible, level-headed and wise. All things you want your bank to be. You don't want your bank to be cool or sexy. Sexy is for 80s hair bands, not banks. That's why PNC Bank strives to be boring with your money so you can be happily fulfilled with your life. PNC Bank, brilliantly boring since 1865. Brilliantly boring since 1865 is a service mark of the PNC Financial Services Group Incorporated. PNC Bank National Association, member FDIC. And we're back. We were just talking about all these different examples of songs and movies and TV shows where stalking and creepy, not okay behavior is normalized as cute and funny and whatever. But it's important to keep in mind that this isn't just, you know, like a movie review. These have actual real-world implications. So one study actually suggests that these movies make this kind of behavior seem like a normal part of dating and that things that are super scary become easily normalized as romantic. According to the study by Julia Lippmann, a postdoctoral fellow at the Department of Communication Studies at University of Michigan— She had a group of 426 women each watch six movies that had been edited down to half an hour. A romantic comedy where a man pursues a woman and is depicted positively. So some examples of this might be there's something about Mary or management. A movie where a man pursues a woman romantically and it's depicted as scary. So you might think of that as enough or sleeping with the enemy. And a nature documentary like March of the Penguins or Wing and Migration as the control. Um, Although, I mean, who knows if these penguins are, you know— Stalking. I mean, I would, we don't know. We don't know what's up with penguins, and that could that could be somebody's jam. That could yeah. turn somebody on. Yeah, it could. It could. So after the screening, each of the women took a survey, ranking their agreement with several quote stalking myths, such as many stalking victims are actually people who played hard to get and then changed their mind afterward, or someone who goes to the extremes of stalking must really feel passionately about his or her love interest. Those who saw the scary stalking movies were less likely than the control group or the rom-com group to endorse these myths. So basically, the people who saw these cutesy romantic movies that had someone going to these extremes to pursue a love interest, the people who saw the movies where that's depicted as normal and funny thought, you know, yeah, sometimes people who are being stalked are just playing hard to get. Or, oh, if you stalk someone, you must really be in love with them. And the people who saw the movies, like, enough, where it's really scary and it's treated as a serious, scary thing— we're less likely to agree with those stalking myths. Yeah. 
But also, the control group was more likely to agree with those stalking myths, which I think is an indicator of how deep we have kind of accepted this, probably because we see it all the time. And it's just, that's just how it goes. That's just the the courting game, isn't it, Bridget? Exactly, exactly. Something else in the study I found really telling was was the fact that grand gestures of rom-coms, like hiring a private investigator to track down your high school prom date, like in There's Something About Mary, were often framed as, quote, inequivocal signs of true love. Lippman writes in the study, Indeed, they may be seen as reflecting one of the great cultural myths of romantic love, that no matter how big the obstacle, love will conquer all. Love will conquer all. And so that, yeah, it just goes to show how pervasive these films are, that they're kind of, when you watch them, they kind of get into your bones and get into, the, get into your head about how you think about relationships in real life. Even if you're watching it saying, I know it's a movie, I think the study demonstrates that it's very difficult to do that. I can say I had, I had someone do a very grand romantic gesture once, and I was furious. I, I felt like trapped and that I now was obligated to be nice to him. And a lot of people were around, and they were, you know, aww. Um, so I felt this pressure. But we, the relationship was doomed from then on because I couldn't get over it. It felt like uh, emotional blackmail. Yeah. Yeah. Don't do that to people. No. That's a lot of pressure. I actually, it, it's, I won't say scarred is a very strong word, but it impacted me so much that now, any time I start dating someone, I tell them up front, I do not want a big public engagement. I want to talk about what's going to happen if this ever happens. The guy's like, whoa. <laughs> You're like, he's like, ma'am, this is a Starbucks. Yes. I asked for your order. Yes. Ma'am. I just wanted you to know in case you had any thoughts going on in your brain. And I will have a latte. <laughs> Good day. <laughs> no, I once saw a um, public public pr- uh, proposal go wrong where the Ooh. woman, he did it. And then the this is at a baseball game. He did it, and then the woman was like, she just kept saying in a low, monotone voice, can we talk about this in private? So, so who knows? Maybe they did get engaged. Yeah. But the fact that she was not, you know, that she was just like, can we talk about this at home? Right. You know? Um, yeah. Yeah, I think it's, I think, but again, films can make us think that this is what people want. People want a, a grand romantic gesture. If you break up, she actually is waiting for you to rush to her wedding and, yeah. and bang on the glass a la The Graduate <laughs> while she's walking down the aisle. Right. right? Like, like, that's what she wants. She's waiting for you to do this. And I think that we have a lot of films that demonstrate this. I actually, this is kind of a weird example, but the show Always Sunny in Philadelphia, Yeah, there, there's a plot line where the character Charlie is obsessed with this waitress that he's you know been obsessed with. He's like stalking her. Like he's right. explicitly stalking her. Yeah. It's, it's, there's no bones about it. And there's one episode where he produces a play where he says, you know, please come to this play, please come to this play. And it's like this romantic play where it's, you know, he's the lead character and that he is, you know, courting this princess. And then at the end, it's like this beautiful scene where he says, I was the main character and the princess was you. And you're, you know, you're thinking that the the woman who's being stalked is going to be like, oh my God, it's so beautiful. But she's like, are are you done? You know, she's not, she's not impressed. And yeah, I think that we... Culture does tell people that women want a grand romantic gesture, and a lot of times we don't. Yeah, and sometimes we do. But I think, especially in the case of an engagement, just talk about talk about that first. If they, if you've been broken up with, though, that's that's different. If you're in a relationship, discuss. However, if you've broken up with someone, I personally don't think um, showing up outside with a boombox playing Peter Gabriel is a it's a smart slash respectful thing to do. <laughs> no, it's not. It's not. Yeah, and another thing about these films is that not only do they trick us into thinking that these kinds of behaviors, you know, showing up outside of someone's house with a boombox is romantic, they actually are giving signals to people who are stalkers as well that make them think that this is the kind of behavior that women want. According to a study from victimsofcrime.org, 241 undergraduates describe their experience with unrequited love both as pursuers and as love interests. So in this study, 241 undergraduate students described their experiences with unrequited love, both as a pursuer or an actor and as a love interest or a target. 
as expected, targets and actors feel pretty differently about how they experience the situation. So basically, this study found that the people who were doing the pursuing, they vastly overstated the positive interest of the people they were pursuing. And so basically what that means is they thought, oh, this person wanted this or liked this, this behavior that is actually unwanted. The people who are doing this creepy behavior actually overreported the person who was on the other end of that behavior, their feelings about it. So they thought, oh, she's enjoying this, this, you know, this attention I'm showing her, this grand romantic gesture I'm making. And again, I think that it really comes down to these movies and these films giving people the wrong idea about how we relate to each other. Yeah. Um, and I believe in that study, it also said that it was mo- men were more likely to overreport this positive interaction and women were more likely to not underreport, but be like, no, not, I wasn't really interested. Um, and there, I mean, there's so much to unpack. There's so much there because if you see those things over and over and you do think they're normal, then, yeah, even as a woman, you might think, maybe I do want this or maybe I should settle down. It, it's just very complex in <laughs> how, many, how many facets it touches and how many other things are at play as well. Completely. I know I've said this before, but we're not just talking about movies in the abstract that we watch these movies and we think, oh, that was creepy, and then it just goes away. Yeah. These things are pervasive, and they have real-world consequences. I was actually shocked to find that in Australia, a man was basically charged with stalking and went to court, and his lawyer argued that because this guy watched a lot of Bollywood films, and Bollywood films are kind of known for men who are very aggressive in in their pursuit of women romantically— because he had watched so many of these movies, he didn't understand why what he was doing wasn't okay. Because in the movies, the women like it. They get together with the man in the end. His lawyer successfully argued that it was, quote, quite normal behavior for Indian men to obsessively target women without obvious signs of their affections being returned. Because male characters in colorful romantic Bollywood movies are often seen determinedly pursuing their female counterparts until they finally acquiesce into a relationship. And... This work, this, he was able to get off on these charges because of these movies. Yeah, and stalking is a very large problem in India, and specifically in Delhi. I believe Delhi was unfortunately named the stalking capital of the world. Um, and until 2013, it wasn't taken seriously. It wasn't seen as a, as a problem that needed to be solved, even though I believe it was four out of five Indian women reported some kind of behavior that made them uncomfortable. And there's instances of um, women being stabbed with scissors in public. Um, A man set himself on fire and hugged this, this, I think she was a schoolgirl, and set her on fire. And these were all instances where the stalking had been reported and just sort of ignored or maybe just they didn't know how to take care of it. I'm not sure, but those, <laughs> I, it's the fact that someone in a court used that as an excuse. Well, we see it in Bollywood, folks. It's, it's acceptable, right? Is kind of shocking and a very clear indicator of how, I think we've said pervasive several times, but clearly it's pervasive. <laughs> Yeah, I think when it comes to Bollywood movies especially, it's important to keep in mind that these movies are showing something that's just ingrained in our culture. So it's not like an India problem necessarily, because clearly we're still figuring this out in America. And so it's more like a romanticized depiction of something that we are struggling as an entire society to figure out how we're going to deal with. I was really interested to find that this Indian actor, Siv Karthikeyan, I hope I'm saying that correctly, but... He, during a talk with film students, acknowledged that one of his previous roles, this movie in which he dressed as a a female nurse to pursue a woman who was not interested and kind of wore her down, could be actually depicted stalking. And so in this conversation with college students, he said, I'm not going to really do movies like that anymore because my career has evolved. And he does seem a little bit salty about it. He's like, I'm kind of sick of taking these questions. But I think if you have more and more actors, more and more talent saying, 
I'm not going to participate in making a movie that portrays a toxic, harmful version of something that is really scary, you know, I think that would be really good. Yeah, I do as well. And um, I kind of went on a... <laughs> I, I was going to solve the root of this, and I, I, I thought, I wonder how much of it comes from Victorian courtship rules. So late last night, I was on the Google, just searching for where, where did all of this come from? And um, there are some rules like a woman should never dance with a man at a ball more than three times. Oh, um, you, couldn't, you couldn't be seen with a man unless you had a chaperone as a single woman. You couldn't talk to a man without an introduction first, and you can't have a man over your single woman. Um, basically, you couldn't be with a man alone until you got married. Um, and to a lesser extent, engaged. You could do a couple of things like holding hands in public, engaged. And um, this all has to do with the church, and I can't wait to do an episode on it. <laughs> but I, I wondered if it's these dating roles of women are kind of supposed to be reticent. They're the pursued, or if you pick a darker tone on it, they're the prey and the men are the predator, that maybe that plays into it. But also there's entitlements. Um, you put in all this time and effort, and the woman therefore owes you something, especially if you're a nice guy and you're, you really do feel for her, right? Um, and then the double standard women face of being labeled easy or slut. Maybe it devalues you if you say yes right away. Um, not believing women when they say what they want. I mean, she can't possibly mean she doesn't, she doesn't want to be with me. How could that be? <laughs> There's so many songs about that. Um, what is that Justin Bieber song? Which one? <laughs> what, what do, do you, you mean? mean? <laughs> oh, and of course, blurred lines. Um, women being a prize to be won. That's all the time. Like, that's the 80s and video games. The, so many things are tied up in that. And just um, the, the gender roles of um, being, you want to be desirable as a woman because you're taught that that's your value, that a man desiring you in this heteronormative world, that, that is your whole goal <laughs> is to be desired by men and to have them to want to pursue you. Um, and your ultimate success is if you land a guy. I, th I think there's so many weird things tied up in this. And that's why it's so difficult. I think it's going to take a lot to show healthier relationships. <laughs> Hollywood, make movies about healthier relationships. Well, I think you hit it right on the head, Annie, because I don't think it's about just a handful of movies or a handful of songs that are creepy. It's about massive, radical, systematic culture change. And that's hard, and that's scary, and it sounds very, very big, right? Like, yeah. the idea that we could completely reshape our culture where these things are not seen as romantic when they're actually really scary, or that women don't feel like their worth is related to how many people they sleep with or who they sleep with or who they date or who they marry. All of that needs systematic change. And so I don't want to make it seem like we're just talking about a handful of movies and a yeah. handful of songs because this is a wider and pervasive cultural issue, like, worldwide. But even though these issues are really big and scary and vast and it seems like one of those things that we probably will never tackle, people can still take that first step. If you're an actor or a filmmaker, you can say, I'm not going to work on movies that portray relationships in this way, as if these things are funny or healthy when they're not. If you're a, a moviegoer, I mean, I honestly think that with the movie that you mentioned earlier, Passenger, I think if that movie had come out even 15 years ago, people would not have rightly called it out as creepy. And so it just takes, one, it just takes all of us to say, when I see movies that are presenting something that I know is not okay in a way that or it is okay saying that. And I think that slowly but surely, I think that Hollywood will get the message. I think that filmmakers will get the message. I think that people who might have inclinations to have this kind of behavior might get the message. But I think it really starts with all of us being willing to say, hey, that's actually not cute. That's actually not funny. That's actually not romantic. It's not okay. And we shouldn't be saying it's okay, even if it's, quote, just a movie. Yeah, Um I totally agree. I think we're slowly making progress. And I remember reading an essay. I can't remember who wrote it, but it was a male uh, screenwriter from the 80s. And he was saying, um, we need to get more um, women writing, which totally agree. But he was also saying there was this kind of nerd 
we, we're starting to get power and we want to show, because a lot of these times it's the awkward guy you connect with, right? You're like, oh, he can get the girl. So they were, all of these guys were writing these scripts that showed kind of their fantasy of attaining this unattainable, perhaps, in real life girl. And we just need to get more stories in there written by different people from different perspectives. And yeah, move away from that. <laughs> because I remember John Oliver, I can't remember the exact quote, but he said something like, Nerd, you've you've got the you've inherited the earth now. So you can't keep showing these stories where <laughs> you you're so downtrodden. Yeah, and also just that we 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 get that story. I think that there was yeah. a point where, you know, the awkward, sensitive, bookish nerd getting the unattainable girl, there was a point where that felt novel. Yeah. It doesn't feel novel anymore. Like right. that's that's tale as old as time. We get it. Like that like I'm a big I'm a big proponent of there just being more stories out there just like you're saying and I'm not I'm not down with pretending like the narrative of bookish guy who's awkward and unpopular gets, you know, is it like is picked on and gets the girl. I'm not down to pretend that that is not a a story that we yeah. see a lot. What about awkward girl gets hot guy or like yeah. I don't know I just I'm, I'm I'm we live I feel like we are I'm kind of going off the rails a little bit this is not <laughs> what this episode is about but let me get on my soapbox anyway and say that I think that we have reached a point where we have seen that story told again and again and again and we are still sort of prompted to believe that story is not often told but yeah. in fact the story of awkward guys nerdy guys and their dating challenges, like, we are, that's, that story is everywhere. Like, everywhere. Yeah. That's, like, all dudes write about. Like, <laughs> like think about it. Think about it, right? Like, how many, you know, as someone who studied literature in, in, when I was in grad school, when we read books by men, so many of the themes came back again and again to, you know, women are awful. This woman broke my heart, and that's why I drink. I went to war to get away from this woman. Like, it was always the same story kind of repackaged. And I'm just, yeah, we need more stories. And I do remember How I Met Your Mother as probably Barney. One of the characters was saying the difference between a stalker and love is just whether or not you have feelings for the other person, which kind of reminds me of the number one rule of Reddit is be attractive. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, listen, I don't care if you're Brad Pitt or whoever. If you show up outside of my house with a boombox, yeah, there's going to be hell to pay. <laughs> yes. Don't do it. Anyone out there listening, don't don't do show up it. outside of Bridget's apartment with a boombox. <laughs> she will not be happy. Noted. Um, and I wanted to leave, uh, close out at least with this one quote. Um, it was an Onion headline from a couple of years ago, and it read, "Romantic comedy behavior gets real life man arrested." <laughs> <laughs> You know, as it should, as it should. Yeah, and one of the quotes from the article was, she was supposed to hate me at first, but gradually be won over by my incredible persistence, telling me that no one has ever gone to such wild lengths to win her love, Marzano said. But for some reason, her irritation never turned to affection. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. Well, I think that's a good place to, to end it. Don't make a grand romantic gesture to someone that you're not in a relationship with. And even if you are, maybe talk about it before you do it. And stalking isn't funny, and it's not romantic, so don't do that either. Yeah. yeah. That's the lesson of the episode. Don't stalk people. <laughs> don't stalk. Don't. It seems so simple, and yet. And yet. And we're yet. still working it out. So, Sminty listeners, what do y'all think? What are some films that we've left out? Because I'm sure there are a lot. Have you seen this playing out in music and movies? Let us know. You can find us on Instagram at Stuff I'm Never Told You, on Twitter at MomStuffPodcast, and as always, via email at MomStuff at HowStuffWorks.com. This episode is brought to you by PNC Bank, who believes some things in life should be boring, like banking. Because boring is safe and responsible, level-headed and wise. All things you want your bank to be. You don't want your bank to be cool or sexy. Sexy is for 80s hair bands. Not banks. That's why PNC Bank strives to be boring with your money so you can be happily fulfilled with your life. PNC Bank. Brilliantly boring since 1865. Brilliantly boring since 1865 is a service mark of the PNC Financial Services Group Incorporated. PNC Bank National Association member FDIC. The state of Tennessee is one of the few places where the sounds are just as breathtaking as the sights. 
Whether that's live music at a historic music venue, the crack of an open fire at a campsite in the wilderness, or hearing kids laughing as they explore what's right around the bend, Tennessee just sounds perfect. Start planning your trip at tnvacation.com. Tennessee sounds perfect. Rev up your thrills this summer at Cedar Point on the all-new Top Thrill 2. Drive the sky on the world's tallest and fastest triple-launch vertical speedway. And now, for a limited time, get more Cedar Point fun for less with our limited-time bundle for just $49.99. Get admission, parking, and all-day drinks for one low price. But you better hurry, because this bundle won't last long. Save now at cedarpoint.com.